You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. All right, glad to see you all this morning. I do got one more announcement before we get going, uh, and that is that we're going to have a evangelism kind of a conference over the next, how many weeks was it? Eight weeks, okay. And we're going to do it starting at 1230. We'll start it next week. No, two weeks, starting in two weeks. Uh, next week, we'll have our new members class. The following week, starting at 1230, we'll have our uh, uh, this this evangelism conference. And it's the way of the master. It's a uh, Ray Comfort. If you, uh, you could look on YouTube and probably find a video of him doing evangelism in that manner where he uses the Ten Commandments. So it's not it's not a terrible burden to come. It'll be a fun time. You'll, there'll be a video. There'll be some uh, teaching, and there'll be some application in each one, some skits. And I think you'll really enjoy the time, and it'll really encourage you as you go out and, and uh, prepare to spread the gospel as you go to talk to other people. Where a lot of people feel uncomfortable, um, I don't know, sharing the gospel, for lack of a better word, uh, because they've never done it. And the more you do stuff, the less uncomfortable it becomes. So I, 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 I pray you'll be interested or consider to do that. If you'll talk to, uh, raise your hand there, brother, uh, Jim there, and, um, and talk to him about it if you want to come. Um, it'll be a relatively small class, maybe hopefully about six to ten people, and, uh, and you can really share with each other. And it's a good way to get to know each other as well. So we'll be doing it for the following eight weeks, starting in two weeks, and, um, and uh, start at, what, 1230 to about 230 or so. Okay? All right, be there, be square. So I'm glad you made it this morning. I want to start with this scripture. What I want to talk about today is what to do about the devil. It's probably one of the the questions and issues we have. We're going to be working on the book of Luke here for a while, and uh, we're going to talk about Luke chapter 4. But I was reading there in James, and it says, James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If you lack wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let that let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." And look at verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What did you do with those cough drops there, Andrew, that I gave you? Sorry. um, Okay, so every Christian, we, we know that the devil exists. We know that we have to deal with the devil. The Bible tells us that we got three mortal enemies to ourselves, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um... The, about the most we know, we know those scriptures that we've heard a thousand times, you know, resist the devil and he will flee, or, or the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking who he can destroy. And uh, we know those, but we need more answers if we're going to go to battle with this being, this supernatural being, greater by far than us, but also under our foot. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a hard thing for us to discern. We wouldn't, I wouldn't say we would know him if we saw him. He has the ability to disguise himself, to portray himself as something other than what he is. You know, he's an angel of light. He's very brilliant looking. He's beautiful. And uh, he's very tempting. He's very attractive. The things that he promotes are tempting and attractive. Otherwise, we wouldn't fall for his tricks. Uh, But we need more answers for the battle. And the other thing is we give him a lot of blame sometimes for things that we did in our own flesh or things of the temptations of the world. He's only one of the three. And I always say that the hardest one that we deal with is our own flesh. The world and the devil are big, and they're out there, and they're constant for sure. But our flesh, it dwells with us all the time. Um, people with mental illness, um, and this has just been an experience I've had, and I would, I would share it with you and tell you the same thing to have mercy on these. If you've ever had a bad back or a bad knee, me- mental illness is no different from having a bad heart, a bad back, or a bad knee. It's just a bad brain. And, um, and, and we're quick to judge those people and beat them down. Well, I'm going to tell you, your flesh is a bad brain. And it occupies every single person that exists on the earth. And uh, the problem is that some people have better self-control, part of the fruit of the Spirit. Some people have better self-control, better self-discipline than others. They allow the flesh to overcome them and to, um, I don't know, lead their life. 
The Bible tells us there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the spirit, uh, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So it's an ongoing walking in the spirit, and it's a thing that we have to apply to ourselves. It's harder to do than we think it is. If it was easy, I guess everybody would be a Christian. It's why many people resist Christianity because they want no restrictions on their lives or on their actions. And so they resist the idea of even eternal life because they don't want to have to restrict themselves. They want to just do what they want to do. And then the devil, of course, he plays right into that. So we can go there. Let's read this in Luke chapter 4. We'll be back in James if you want to put a, a little card or something in there. We're going to go back to James there at the end. But what it said there in James is going to be critical for us in defending ourselves against the devil, that of the testing of your faith produces patience, and blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So let's read this in Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in Luke chapter 4. We, we talked over Luke 1 through 3 and 3 quarters, back around New Year's and Christmas. We already talked about those things and the development of Christ as the Messiah, how, how he came, in the, uh, you know, came by the virgin and, and all that. And uh, so we've just recently covered that, so I figure we could start in four there and be just fine. The Lord, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Note the Spirit and the Spirit and the Spirit. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Uh, the King James says, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when that devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, from Christ, until the opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So the highlight of this, this passage, a little bit of uh, you know, information there, the highlights are the questions and the answers, the questions of the evil one versus Christ and his, his response to them. And what may be easiest to perceive is that when the devil attacks is when Jesus is at his weakest physically. That's when the devil attacks us as well. When you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're being lazy, when you're not on your toes, that's when he attacks. I will say that the devil is not an omnipotent and not an omnipresent being. He's not all-powerful, though he is the prince of the power of the air and has some influence on the earth and can do things that are outside of our control in the, in the physical realm because he operates in a spiritual realm that is also able to go into the physical realm. Hard for us to get our minds around. We're physical beings um, the Bible tells us to worship in spirit and in truth, but we don't understand the spirit well generally, and we don't have a lot of experience dealing with the spirit, and therefore we don't do well in the spirit. So when negative things happen, we tend to go directly to physical uh, responses, even to supernatural events that occur in our lives or, or uh, occur towards us. And also our perception of what is spiritual in the negative that attacks us, our perception of that is often broken because we see with physical eyes. You got me? No? Everyone's just sitting there like, is this what we're going to do today? This is it, people. This is what we're doing. So we know when he likes to attack, and that is when we're tired, when we're hungry, and when we're lazy. Now, Christ's not being lazy here, but uh, laziness will get you in a pinch almost every time. Every time. So, we're not, we, what we're witnessing here in this is a spiritual battle between two warriors that are at a much higher plane spiritually than we are.
but there's only one victorious warrior who's victorious from the beginning of the battle, and both of them know it. You know, if you ever watch pro wrestling, there's a reason they don't pair up midgets with Hulk Hogan. Because the victory's over before the battle begins. They're both warriors, but one of them's got no chance. And that's what's going on here. There's only one warrior capable of victory. Jesus Christ is the ultimate victor, and his victor is, is supplied and completed before the battle's ever enjoined. Before the battle ever begins, the victory is completed. However, he allows things like this to happen. God the Father does, Christ does, because there's a message to little man that stands smaller than the angels. There's a message to them on how to defend himself against these supernatural beings. We're not the Messiah, but the Lord gives us the tools to defend ourselves from the devil and the flesh and the world if we'll put them into action. So um, we're in a little more tenuous spot than Christ was. Christ was hungry here, no doubt. No doubt he had, and I don't believe he ever experienced hunger in heaven. He has whatever, maybe he needed to eat, maybe he didn't, maybe he chose to eat. We don't know. But he has a spiritual nature. He's born with a spiritual nature. Then it's a completed spiritual nature when the Holy Spirit comes upon him. So he's already God, and he's in the, in the flesh as a human. So he has human flesh, but a spiritual nature from the beginning. You, I'm sad to say, and myself, were born with a natural nature, a sinful nature, and a natural body. Christ has a spiritual nature from the beginning and a natural body. So he has an advantage in that. But he says that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and we too can have a spiritual nature though we have a human body. And it won't be completed and we won't understand all of this. We can read it. We can read the Bible all we want. We can listen to every commentator. And it won't be completely known by us until we pass from death into true life into eternal life until we pass in that day and all of a sudden we're going to be like, so easy. It was like this the whole time. How come I couldn't see it? But it's just how we are as people. We're very small. You're a lot smaller than you think you are. Um, our, our culture tells us that we're a lot bigger than we are. But when we stand against supernatural beings, we're very small. So what we're depending on is those supernatural beings that are all-powerful, the Most High God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We're dependent on them for any power that we have in our fleshly nature. They're the one. He's the one. He's it. He's the power. We talked about that this morning when our friends become our enemies. And who do we have on our side? Who's our only ally? And it's the Lord. We don't have much as people. So we begin with a nature and a body that are both um, holy man. And even in salvation, our tendency is to go back and depend in negative things after salvation. We depend, we tend to go back to our fleshly nature to defend ourselves. That's why when we get sick, we don't come to the church and ask for the elders to lay hands on us and anoint us with oil like the Bible tells us to do, but we go to Dr. So-and-so and ask them to give us a medicine to heal us of you name the thing. Because it's our nature. It's what we do. We've never seen, we've never put our trust to the extent in God like, I don't have anything but you to, to salve my wounds. I don't have anything but you to save me from death. I don't have anything but you to save me from cancer or from, or from whatever. So we go to the doctor first, and then we go to prayer. We go to the doctor first, and then we go to the elders. We go to the doctor first, and then we go to the Messiah. That's what we do. We do it with everything. Our kid gets in trouble, we go try and get Larry Sherrill on the phone. And uh, help us out, Larry. My kid's in the jug. You've got to help me get him out of there. There's no prayer. There's no asking what God, what I should be doing with the Lord. What was the best thing I could do for my son, my daughter in this situation to help them, you know, learn from this experience, to draw, you know. We... we we just, it's what we do. We go to the natural instead of to the spirit. It's just what we do. It's just what we know. I don't blame you. The Bible says that God, in uh, reckoning with men, he says we, he knows we are but dust. He made us out of dust. We're going to return to dust, and we think like dust. We have dusty thoughts. So it's what makes us susceptible to failure in spiritual warfare while Jesus remains invincible because he's always always, always operating in the Spirit. He prays in the Spirit. He walks in the Spirit. He thinks in the Spirit. His mind is the mind of the Father and the mind of Christ in one and unity of mindset. And everything he does is in that way. And he says, for you, believer, poor pitiful little dusty person that you are, to be created, 
you were created in the image of God, then in the image of Adam, the fallen image, and that you can be now in the image of Christ. You can be that way, but it's going to take some uh, endurance on your part and some training. And there's something I picked up here that I thought might be encouraging to you, and it's right here in verse 12, and we're going to look at two different tricks going on there, but Jesus, he's just got the right word at the right time. I've told you before, if you need good counsel, Jimmy, when stuff is really bad and you're on death's door, call Jimmy. He's going to give you the good word. If you want to, uh, or, or Mr. Alva's another good one. Jesus always has the perfect word. We're in a desperate battle. We're in a battle against the devil. His minions are evil men. And this is how Jesus answers. He says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus, he makes an interesting point about Satan and you and Muslims and Buddhists and atheists. And that is, you have a God. And it's the creator God and it's the same God for all mankind. Satan had a God whether he submitted himself to the Father or not. It didn't make God the Father less his God, less his creator, or less his sovereign. And when, we, when we're in these battles, we've got to recognize that the person or the dominion or the supernatural thing that's attacking us or whatever, or our own flesh, it falls under the authority of our God. There are small g gods. There are little gods. We have our own little gods we carry around with. It's called a cell phone. You don't believe me? Go put it somewhere for two weeks and don't pick it up. And you will see that you can't live without it. And that you're obsessed with it and it's become an idol in your life. But that aside, there is a God, an all-powerful God that is over us. Whether we recognize him, whether we're obedient to him or not, he's still our God. He still says how things go. And he's the God of Satan as well. I never caught that before till I read that. And I saw the evil one has no standing before the Lord because the Almighty is his God, whether he recognizes him as God or not. The atheist has a God, and he's God the creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God is his God, whether he recognizes him as his God or not. Ever think about that? And what it does is uh, it puts us as believers and active, obedient people under the sovereign God most high, it puts us in a special place because at least we recognize him as God. And so for those that are righteous, he has a special place of blessing for them from the day they believe in him until the day you die and you go into eternal life and dwell with him. For those that don't recognize him as God, they still receive blessings. Our country is a blessed country. You can believe it or not, we're in a bad spot right now. we got some terrible thinking going on in our political realm and in our Hollywood realm and every other realm. But we're still, many people are greatly blessed. All people in the United States of America and every nation in the world are greatly blessed by the creator of God, whether they acknowledge him as God or not. they got this thing called oxygen. It's really critical for living and he creates it and puts it there for all men, whether they reckon him or not. We've got these things called trees that provide shade and clean the air, and, and they're there for all men. He's got this thing called food of every variety and type, and God puts it there for all men. There's, there's blessings that are inherent to just being alive as a person, the way your body works, the way everything works out there in nature, everything in creation. And all those things are blessings from God. However, there's a greater blessing for those that recognize the Lord Most High as God. There's a greater blessing for them. And it's, it's even beyond eternal life. It's the blessings that begin in the temporal time, the time that we exist in right now in the earth, and as we pass away, and as negative things happen, and as we're attacked by our friends, as we're attacked by our culture, as we're attacked by our government. Even in those things, there is a most high God that we recognize that's in control of all those things. And I think that's the thing that we miss, is we forget in elections, we forget in the things that we see on TV, we forget that the God most high is in control regardless of the outcome. In fact, he uses negative outcomes of things in order to get his people to persist in temptations, to persist in persecutions, to grow closer to him. And it's hard to... It's hard to wrap our minds around. Like, God, if, I mean, I've heard people say it. Well, if God was, if he really cared, he would do, if God did all the stuff that you wanted him to do, it'd be a train wreck because you're selfish. 
and he's got the big picture in view. If God really cared, if he really cared, um, if he really didn't care, he'd cut off the oxygen for about two minutes, I'd say, and you'd be pretty humbled because you'd realize that there's a blessing from God that comes through the oxygen that you breathe that lets you walk from here to your car and turn on your air conditioning or heat. You don't realize how blessed you are by God and the, and the lost, the atheist, the Muslim, the Buddhist, and every other person in the world that rejects the Most High God as their creator, they're being blessed despite their rejection of him. But their blessing is here. It's temporal. It's not eternal. And that's important to know. So the evil, the evil one, whether he acknowledges God or not, he's still under his authority. He has no power over the Messiah whatsoever. But the bad thing is his tricks work on men. Um, we're just too inexperienced to recognize his tricks. Poor Adam and Eve, um, you know, here's the serpent. Ever how long he's existed before that? I have my own kind of theory on that. It's hard to, it's hard to put a number on it exactly. But we know that sometime before the creation of man or right during that time, the evil one looked down and said, why are you blessing these people, these things made of dirt, and I've, made, I've been made of shiny things. That's what he's called, if you look that up in the, in the Old Testament there in Isaiah and Ezekiel, where it describes Satan. He's made of shiny things. Why would you bless these things made of dirt? And somewhere in there, he said, I will place myself above God. And God said, get out of here. And so what does he do? He goes, we don't know. It could have happened the day before he tempts Eve. You can be like God. And what does he do? He uses God's own words, and he twists it just a tiny bit, and he says, did God really say? And he does the same thing here in this Luke chapter 4. We'll see in a second. And so we have these things uh, we, we are very inexperienced to deal with a being that's been around no less than six, 7,000 years. I mean, if you could live for 7,000 years, you'd be a lot better at investing, I'm going to tell you that. Your bank account would look better. Your house would be nicer. Probably driving a nicer car. If you got 6,000 years to figure out how to handle money or to handle relationships or to handle people or to deal with your kids, it would be different, right? He's got 6,000 years plus if we're just talking from the, the initial, if we just measured it out in time more or less from about Adam to today, around 6,000 years. He's got 6,000 years to figure out ways to manipulate men. And you at best is going to live to be, I don't know, looking at your health here, maybe 80, right? 85. We got some 80, 80 upper age, right? At best, you got 85 years, maybe 100 to figure out how to defeat a being that's been around for 6,000 years and his whole ploy from the beginning is how can I destroy these men made of dirt? I've discovered this about the evil one. He doesn't care if you're saved or not. He doesn't care. He wants you destroyed. If you're a good Bible-thumping whatever you are and you're doing a great job and you're following the Lord in everything and you're witnessing to people, if he could run over you with a bus, he'd be happy. If you're an unsaved and a lost person, he could run over you with a bus, he'd still be happy. He doesn't care how men are destroyed. He destroys them because God loves them. And they're his special creation. We are the special creation above all creations. Man is. All the other of creation, it just says that they were good. But it says when he creates man and woman, he looks at it and he goes, that's very good. Everything else was just like eh. trees, birds, elephants, giraffes. Tyrannosaurus Rex, that's good. Man, that's very good. You're special. And Satan says, if they're special, they're the apple of God's eye. That's what he says about Israel. But he also says it about his chosen people in, in a sense. So when you're accepting of Christ and you're in his team and you're his people, you're the apple of his eye. You're a special creation of his, and Satan hates that. And so his desire is for your destruction. So what does he do? He manipulates and weasels around and schemes and does wily stuff. And he tries to go out of his way to destroy you, that which is most special to God. If you could see yourself as the special entity that you are as you stand before God, if you could reason that in yourself before you goof up really bad, it might save you a lot of goofing up. So we got that threefold world, flesh, and the devil that's constantly warring against us. 
But we got to know that the devil is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once, though the Lord can. Now, he's got minions. They can tempt and they can do stuff. He's got fallen men that are going to do these terrible things to us. But our answer to each and all of them fall right here in the answers that Christ said. He always says, it is written, for it is written, verse 8, for it is written, verse 4, verse 12, it has been said, or it is written. We use God's word to defend ourselves from the wily schemes of evil, wicked men, uh, the evil one, or his minions. We do try to attribute our own fallenness a lot of times, our own uh, failures, our own weaknesses, our own dirtness. We try to put that off on the devil at times. The devil made me do it. And the reality is we have our own flesh we've got to deal with. But when it is obvious of the evil one, there's some negative supernatural effect that's coming against you as a person, we use it is written to defend ourselves against that. Pretty simple to do. We can do it. So even in Jesus' weakest moments, he's not stumped as to how to resolve this situation with the devil. He just goes, he goes, well, you could make stone into bread. It's been 40 days. It says he was hungry, which is, you know, an understatement, I'm sure. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone. That's what it's written. Satan's like, huh. but, but what about this? Um, I own all of the earth because when Adam fell, dominion was, of the earth was given to me over Adam. And Jesus doesn't even answer that question. He goes right to it. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. It doesn't matter if you're in control of this because what little aspect of control you have here, I got control of the whole universe and you're a speck of dust on a flea's behind in comparison to what I'm in control over. And we don't, we don't picture that. So, anyway, let's see. The victory that Christ has right here is, is the equivalent, the victory over Satan. And, and you need to get this in your mind because the victory over Satan here is, is, the, is the picture of, you know, a 25-year-old father playing basketball with his 3-year-old son. Like the chance of the 3-year-old even scoring is impossible unless the father allows it. You need to see that because it's important. Because there are things that God allows, look at the book of Job, there are things that God allows Satan to do that tempt and test men. And that's difficult for us to swallow. And all these things are taken into account in the testing of the saints for the furtherance of the kingdom, even that aspect of where Satan intervenes in the lives of men. Had Jesus decided at any one of these things and any one of these temptations to act on them, it would have still been within the will of God. He only does what God's will is. Jesus only does what the Father tells him to do, only. And had he ate of the bread, or had he stood on the pinnacle and cast himself out, somehow it still would have worked out for the glory of God and for the, the building of the kingdom, though we can't understand it. But he doesn't do that. And I think what we need to do is, is really understand how important it is that God, the Lord your God, that Christ is in charge of Satan. We give him a lot of authority in our lives. And that, in Ezekiel, it says um, that men will walk by him and see him as he is, and they'll say, is this the one that caused the nations to stumble? We, we see him as he is a very powerful being, He's very influential in different ways. I would say more through governments and things like that as far as Satan himself, the accuser. But I think when, you know, he's influential with world leaders, say. But when we see this person or this, this being that was so influential with world leaders who sicked his minions on us, who sicked ungodly men on believers, when we see him in, the, in person, we're going to be like, that guy? That's the one that took the nations down? Him? We're going to be really ashamed of ourselves. We're going to be ashamed of ourselves for, for being fearful of this being who was so obviously under the power of God. So anyway, Jesus would have still received the glory due his name, whether he jumped off the temple, whether he ate the bread, or whether he did any other thing that Satan tried to coax him into, because he's got the victory from the beginning. He's the one that dictates the plan. And here's what I want you to see, too. 
what Satan is doing in these little Q&A sessions right here, he does not know. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know what Jesus is doing on the earth in this time. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to dig out information so that he can have a counter battle plan for the other things that are happening. And if you read the Gospels carefully, you'll see more demonic interference in people's lives amongst people and against the Messiah than anywhere else in the Bible except for maybe Daniel or Revelations. As far as throughout the books, you'll see people being demon-possessed, demons being cast out, demons having influence, demons speaking out loud, demons uh, taking people's lives, Right? And we don't really see that in the rest of the Bible. I'm not saying it doesn't happen today. I'm saying that in during the Gospels, the demonic realm and the power of Satan was more influential in that period of time than ever before because he's trying to stop the Messiah from doing what the Messiah has to do. Um, we watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with the kids, with some of the kids from church here on Friday night. And one of the things that, that Aslan does is he goes up to the stone table, right, and he lets the, the evil queen kill him. And afterwards, when he, when he comes back to life, and it's the picture of Christ there for those of you that don't know, as he comes back to life, and the girl's like, how do you come back to life? He goes, what the queen didn't understand was there's a deeper magic. If she'd have read the whole book, she'd have seen that if, I, if a person dies, an innocent dies for a, for a person that's guilty, if an innocent dies, that they'll come back to life and that they'll break the power of death over man. And that's exactly what happened. Satan couldn't figure it out. And so what he's doing here, he's weaselly. And so he's, he's putting little plugs in there like, you know, what are you going to do next? And so he sees Jesus accumulate the 12 disciples, and he sees a demonic man over here. Can't be held with chains. Naked, running around the, the tombs. And then Jesus just speaks to him. And cast out the demons. Okay, that one didn't work. And he sees this one over here, blind from birth. Or this one over here can't, can't get in, the, in the, the pool of Siloam or whatever. And then he handles, and each time, and each time Satan's over there like, that one didn't work. Let me write that one down. And each time he's trying to build this little plan. And then finally he gets him through Pilate and through Judas. And he gets him to the cross. And he's like, now I got him. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, you got me. It's like Br'er Rabbit, don't throw me in the briar patch. And then they toss him in. He's like, that's exact. Thank you, Satan. Good job, buddy. Right into his plan. It's a plan the whole time. We have this fear of this supernatural being who's already defeated by the power of the Word of God. By the power of the Word of God. That's all it is that defeats him. We give him a lot of authority where we shouldn't. God is in complete control over people, over Supernatural beings, whether they recognize his control or not, God is over them completely, as is the Lord. The soul and the spirit of the believer is safe in eternity from the moment of salvation. You remember that in Romans 8, what can man do to me? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered us up for us all, delivered him up for us all. How shall we, not with him, uh, freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God elect? It is God who justifies, and on and on and on. Powers, principalities, dominions. Who's in charge of all that? The Father's in charge of all that. What can we do? Well, just depend on the Father. Depend on Christ. The attack and retreat of Satan versus the Messiah should be super encouraging for us because our victor is the champion of champions. He never loses. He never loses. The greatest basketball players that ever played, they still lost games. The greatest football players that ever played, they still lost games. Maybe they didn't lose a game this year, but they lost it next year. Eventually we lose. We get old. We fail. We, we, we don't have our defenses up like we should. Eventually we fail. Not only has he never lost, it's impossible for him to ever lose in the future. Not only that, it's impossible for us to lose if we're attached to him and on his team. You've got to be on his team. And the loss, even if the loss of life, is still a victory because you end up in eternal life with him forever. And in eternal life, there is no more Satan. You know, his name technically is the Satan. Did you know that? We always call him Satan. It's like a slang. But his name is the Satan. The Satan is just the accuser. He's always working. He's always accusing. It's that Psalm 55 we read this morning. He's always accusing. 
Somebody's always accusing the righteous, and that's his game. So he never loses. There's no way he's going to lose. Even when it looks like there's a chance he might lose, he's using that moment to edify the believer, to build us up, to build endurance into us so that we're more effective with the spreading of the gospel and the building of the kingdom. So here's the last thing I wanted to talk about, and that is this, the use of Scripture in a maleficent manner. What happens here is what we're seeing in our culture today, and this is Satan's greatest trick that he uses against men. It's a trick that he used against Adam and Eve, and it took them down, did God really say? And it's what he does right here. In the first two instances, um, 4 verse 4, Jesus says, it is written so-and-so. Verse 8, Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship. And Satan says, okay, we're going to use the it is written game. I know how to play this game. And so he says, for it is written, and he gets his little jab in there. And like I said, Satan's over here trying to fish out information, so you got to see it for what's going on there. So two times the Lord says it is written, and then Satan tries to jump on that. Is it written? He doesn't say it is written. He says, isn't it written? It's a little bit, just a well, isn't it also written? How many times it just drives me crazy. And we read about this last week. It was in the psalm last week. It's when wicked men use the word of God to twist it to try to beat down men of God. They do it all the time. And you know what they usually start with? Doesn't the Bible say, aren't we not supposed, why are you guys so judgmental? Doesn't the Bible say we're not supposed to judge? You know, uh, isn't God love? Doesn't the Bible say God is love? Yeah, it does. It also says he's wrath. He's a destroyer. Um, he's all-powerful, almighty. It says that he hates. I mean, there's negatives that, that are attributed to God as well. There's things that God hates. Don't be on that list, right? Yeah, he's love, just like a good father is love. But a good father who loves his children beats his child and drives folly far from his child. That's what it says. The rod of correction drives folly far from your child. A bad father does not discipline his child. His child runs wild in the streets and his child gets run over in traffic, right? Uh, I saw um, Second Peter and Jude you know, those really talk about in the last days, how those things have come, you know. You guys have been waiting for 2,000 years for the Messiah. Where is he at? We're still waiting. I saw uh, Whoopi Goldberg, not necessarily a, a uh, theologian or whatever, but uh, she used this the other day, and she said, the Bible says not to judge, and she was talking about homosexual marriage or something like that. And oh, that's another one they like to use. Jesus never said anything about, about homosexuality being wrong. I've heard that one a lot. And, uh, but he did say uh, that God gave man and woman, one man and one woman, so that doesn't tie to homosexuality at all. And then it says in Corinthians and again in Revelation, neither shall our idolaters or homosexuals or sodomites or, what does it say? It's got a whole list of them, none of them good. Liars shall have any part in the kingdom of heaven. You don't want to be on that list. Don't be on that list. Be on the good list. The Lord Jesus is not going to be led astray like the first Adam was. He's the second Adam. The first Adam didn't know better. He was naive. He was all, Adam was filled with all the wisdom that God had. There wasn't a physics question that Adam couldn't answer. Did you ever think about that? Because he knew everything God knew. What he didn't know was sin. He knew everything about chemistry and math and science and, and uh, construction and everything that's possible. And man, Adam had it because he was truly in the image of God and God breathed into him the very breath of life. God took what was inside of him and he breathed it into Adam and Adam became a living being. But what Adam didn't have was enough self-discipline or self-control or something. And he fell for the trick of the devil when the devil said, is it written? And that's, here's, here's the answer. Here's the solution to the problem. We have the same tools at our disposal that Christ had, that he used, and he promises us that they will work if we will use them. Go back to James. Go back to James chapter 3. I told you he was going back there. I warned you. Look at verse 13. 
is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the spirit, uh, Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, but God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Here's how you deal with devilish things. Resist, submit, and draw near. That's how we started in James. But I wanted to show you real quick, there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the kind of wisdom, like I said, that we tend to deal with there in our fleshly form, and that is the wisdom of the world. It seems like this is the right way to deal with this thing. And as people, well, there's a book or an old message called The Tyranny of the Urgent. I, you can find it on the internet. It's a great, great message. And basically, any man can identify with this, especially a man that's done any kind of construction. The Tyranny of the Urgent. You're going to go to this house in the morning. You're going to pour a footer. And you go out to your truck, and you got a flat tire. You're supposed to be there at 8. You're supposed to be there at 7. You're supposed to be there at 6, whatever time you're supposed to be there. And you go out there, and you got a flat tire. The Tyranny of the Urgent. So you go pile the tire off, and you plug the hole, and you air up the tire. And you get in the truck, and you turn the key, and it won't start. So you get the battery out, and you get the jumpers out, and you get it started, and then you got to take it somewhere. And you got to call the people that are over there that are already waiting on you, and you got to put off the concrete truck, and it goes. the day goes downhill from there. It's usually a Monday, but it can happen on a Wednesday as well. I've had both. <laughs> and that's the tyranny of the urgent. And our whole lives are that way. And we don't position ourselves in our lives in such a way that we're prepared for tyrannically urgent things to happen to us. And it's happened to me a hundred times. I'll get up and I'm like, man, I really need to study on this thing. We're going to talk about it this week. And something comes up or somebody calls me or, or some, you know, somebody dies and wants a funeral, whatever. Whatever thing happens, and I get away from the thing that was truly the most important. I should have stayed with the thing and turned the phone off and put it in another room. But the urgency of the things pull us away from the things that are most important. And by the end of the day, you were supposed to pour a footer. You didn't get the footer poured. You had to put off the truck. You had to pay them guys anyway. Your truck's still not running. And you never read the scriptures like you should have done in the first place. Because we didn't do the thing that was the most important first. And the other things were outside of our control to an extent, but we kept getting dragged into the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And before long, we didn't get anything done. And those are very discouraging days. You ever had one? Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you. So it says what to do in those moments. And what we don't realize, here's another thing. And I'm gonna, this is a freebie. This is, you get two for a dollar right here. Here's a freebie. If you're in your house and you're walking out and somehow you get this strong inclination to take something with you, I don't care if you're walking out the door and you see a blanket, you're like, I'm supposed to take that blanket. Take the blanket because that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you're going to need it that day, I promise you. If you're a man and you walk by your outbuilding and you, you're not even going to do construction today and, and the Lord tells you to pick up the drill and take, take the stupid drill because you're going to use it that day, I promise. And if you don't have it in your truck, you're going to have to drive back home and get the drill. But because we don't know what the Holy Spirit's voice sounds like, we walk away from the drill because of the tyranny of the urgent and we're not in tune with the Spirit and we're not prepared to hear His voice when He speaks to us. 
Just telling you from a friend, not like it ever happened to me every dadgum day. Because I'm, I, I need to be better in tune with the Spirit than I am. And I know that when I bring the blanket, I promise you I'll meet somebody that day that needs the blanket. I can't tell you how it works. I can only tell you that the Spirit speaks and we can reject His Word. We can, we can overpower His voice. We can quench His Spirit. And, and you're just going to be really discouraging yourself <laughs> at the end of the day. The best defense against the evil one, who is a lot closer of a match in battle with Christ than he is with you, let me tell you that. You are not more powerful than the evil one unless you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you have the whole armor of God upon you, and you're willing to resist him by the use of the word of God. If you never put the word of God into you, you will not have the ability to resist the devil to make him flee. The devil fled. It's, he, he fled Christ, right? He retreated. It's not like he didn't come back. He's just like, all right, this is a bad time. I'll catch you on another day when you're more available for my tricks. And that's what he's going to do to you too. Look at the things of the earthly things of what we are and see that in yourself. Who is wise and understanding? Demonstrate your wisdom and your understanding by meekness. You can see what it looks like if we don't have that. And though you're so open to attack, you find yourself day after day further and further from God. Get back in his word. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Get back to where he's at. We go out of his land and we say, Lord, how come you don't reach me? Because you're not in his country. Get back in his country and then uh, you can have conversations with him. If you leave his kingdom, he's going to be hard to reach. He doesn't take long distance calls. You've got to be in his country. Get in his country. The wisdom that is from above, that's the wisdom we need. The wisdom that does not descend from above is earthly, sensual, and demonic, and it will not hold up for you in that day when you're battling against the evil one. We could easily be dominated by him. But to have the word of God filling us fully with his spirit, with the word, you'll put up a lot better battle against his destructive schemes. You remember uh, Bugs Bunny Roadrunner, right? Don't act like you never watched him. But you know, what was his name? Wiley Coyote. Super genius. And every trick he did was Wiley. And it was only the wisdom of the roadrunner that kept him safe from his Wiley schemes. We don't understand what it means to be Wiley. We're not that good at defending our, we're not, you're not as smart as you think you are. Me neither. When it comes to supernatural things, they are so much on a, such a higher plane they said a Hebrew scholar was looking at God's word and he said that he found like 10 dimensions, like we have, you know, three-dimensional world, four dimensions if you include time. He found at least 10 dimensions in the Old Testament and some recent guy doing some kind of science jazz in, in uh, Sweden there. He said the same thing. There's at least 10 or 11 dimensions that they can, they can kind of comprehend that have to do with space and time and, and time travel and all these things. We're very connected and tied to the three-dimensional world. There's nothing we can do about that. If we're going to fight something that is capable of traveling through 11 dimensions and you can travel through three, you're at the disadvantage. If your mind is not filled with the mind of Christ, if your spirit is not filled with the Holy Spirit, if your um, word is not hidden in your heart that I might not sin against thee, if that's not done with you, you're going to be in grave danger when the evil one comes, when persecution comes, when evil men come against you, you'll be in terrible danger. It said in Matthew 24, 22, if those days were not shortened, even the elect would not be saved because they didn't know. Here's the thing. Yeah, I'm going to give you, here's the inside track on the, uh, on the uh, rapture. If somebody tells you you got to get a mark to buy, sell, or trade, don't take it. That's what I'm going to tell you. You either miss the rapture or it's coming later. But if they tell you to get a mark, don't take it. But many people won't know the word enough in that day that when those things happen, they won't be able to resist against it because they don't have the word hidden in their heart beforehand in order to resist. So what can you do? You're not self-disciplined enough in your natural state to resist the devil as you're needed. But victory can be in Jesus if we're completely dependent on him for it. And that's what I wanted to give you today. I pray it helps you. This comes, this building up of endurance does not come through easy training. It comes through hard trials, persecutions, and testings. That's, that's what we're told in 1 Corinthians. The diamond is made by pressure and heat, 
The ruby is made more beautiful. It takes out the flaws in the ruby when they heat it up and put it under pressure. Do you know that? That's how you make a pure, a, a really, a ruby without a flaw is they heat it up and it makes the flaw go away. The gold is refined by heat and the dross skimmed off. The silver is refined by the heat and the dross skimmed off. The sinful created man is refined by heat and the dross being skimmed off when he's saved. And I pray that you'll accept those things and hear it. And um, it's going to come. The testing's going to come in your weakest moments. And in those moments, if I had to give you one scripture, I'd say Romans 8 might be the one. Because that's the one that tells us no one can go against God's elect. No one. So I pray that you'll receive that. I pray that if you have a temptation, a testing, different people are tested by different things. Um, um, some people, you know, men are tested by a beautiful woman that tells them how smart he is. Married men. Uh, men are tested by greed and uh, desire for money. Women are, are tested by the loss of their, their youthful beauty and their natural narcissism that just we have when we want to look beautiful and, and be attractive and want people to notice us. And when those things come, if we're not careful, if our mind is not stayed on the Lord, we're going to fall into those temptations. And that's why you see people that were married for 30 years get back on Facebook and find somebody new to, to marry. That's what happened. They were in a weakened moment. Their mind was not stayed on the Lord. They forgot who their first love was. They forgot where their stability was. And they were tempted and, and tricked away by the evil one. Did God really say, oh, you could find more happiness in another marriage? There's got to be a better marriage. This guy, look at this guy. He didn't even brush his teeth. There's got to be a better man out there. And I'm telling you, the one you got is as good as it gets. There ain't no better ones. They're all the same. <laughs> same thing for you fellers. They're all the same. And we're tempted and we're tested away by our own lust of the flesh and by the evil one and by the world. Don't let it happen to you. Be strong in the word. Be strong in the word, all right? I'll be up here to pray with you. Different people have different trials going on. If you want to pray, I would be glad to wait and pray with you. I want us to sing a song. We're going to sing Victory in Jesus. Um, Emily made fun of it, and she wants to sing it in her country Kentucky way. But I'm telling you, that's a solid song. That's the only place that victory is is in Jesus. I'm going to pray with us, and we're going to sing this song to close. Hey, when we line up for the meal, if you would, kind of line up on the, on the wall here, and not everybody pile in the hole there. That was a, a request from the ladies in there. Um, let's pray together, and then we're going to sing this song. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you as fallen people just made of dirt, and we, we don't know. We don't even know when we're being attacked, Lord. We're not sure where the attack is coming from. Have mercy on us, Lord, in our weakness. Have mercy on us, Lord, a sinner. Father, I pray right now, those that are being persecuted, attacked by the evil one, Lord, I pray for, for relief. Lord, I pray that we can see the enemies in our lives and that we're able to come to the proper conclusions of the tools, the weapons of our warfare that we're to use against them. Lord, I pray for these that are here, that they would reread Ephesians 6 and go back and put on the whole armor of God, ready to defend themselves against the fiery darts of the evil one. Lord, that they're uh, our righteousness would be more secure, our belt of truth tighter, that we would know the word better than we ever known it before. Have mercy on our country, Lord. We have a lot of wicked men in, in charge of us, Lord, men and women, whose desires are for their own control and power and authority over men, Lord. I pray that those demonic forces that are influencing them, Lord, that they would be put away and those people would repent while there's still time. Lord, I pray for these that are here that as we go about this week and we have to proclaim the gospel to others, that it would just be in us a boldness that we never had before to speak the truth to others about the hope that we have within us. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, your long-suffering towards us. Have mercy on us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.